0: Take a seat again, if you would, folks. Wonderful having you here this morning. Um, we'll just see how we go. God, as I said, God has a, a slightly different timetable to me, um, but I know that He's doing really wonderful, cool stuff um, amongst us. We have not had a service that had that level of buoyancy and vibrancy in our praise and worship. Um, for quite a while, yep. not not to that sort of level, but God just loves coming <laughs> amongst us and manifesting himself. He's with us always, isn't he? I mean Scripture teaches that, but he loves to surprise and he loves to come outside the box. David was able to say, "One day in church is better than three years out somewhere else yep. because the presence of God was around. A the, the building where they where they were in such a way that there was nowhere better for him to be than to be right there. And I'm, I'm believing for that. I think what we saw this morning where you're just giving everything that you've got plus more and everyone's doing it together is just marvelous, but it'll grow. It'll, yes. it'll get stronger. As we're trying to um, follow the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we're... Um, realizing is that testimonies um, can somehow just build a place of faith that things can um, jump off from. And we've talked about um, someone's wrist getting healed to the point where they can do press-ups. It's not bad, is it? So does anyone here have a sore wrist this morning? And I, I just want to get some of the young people to pray a prayer for you. So just jump up a few here, especially in a cast... Anyone else with a sore wrist? Anyone else? And, and just take this moment. So um, can we have a couple of the young people just pray God's healing. You don't have to do anything flash. Less than a minute. Just pray. Big voice. Now you don't have to gather round. Just out loud. Just out loud. big voice come on you're giving away something that we've been talking about this morning there's three people here who desperately want your prayer this morning
1: around, um, around their wrists, and you'll just um, place your blessing over their their lives, and you'll just hear them heal them. Amen.
0: Amen. (laughs) Thank you. That's brilliant. That is really cool. Hey, folks, we've been, we've been, um, I've been starting a series on um, looking at uh, life after death at what is called near-death experiences or beyond-life experiences, where where people have these out-of-body experiences, but they, for some reason or other, get to come back and to be able to talk to us about it. And I, I've been looking at it from an apologetics point of view because that means that we're, we're actually finding that what people are experiencing in near-death experiences actually lines up with what the Bible has always said is true. It actually authenticates this book. It's powerful for us in terms of um, realizing that this is something absolutely solid that you can stand on with your life because what people are finding in the spirit world beyond is exactly what Jesus said would take place. For example, we don't cease to exist when we die. People are finding that they're dead, but instantaneously they are continuing to exist. And then they'll go on to some kind of experience and they will, they will come back and they'll tell us this story. But Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even after dying, uh, will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha. I used to think this dying but not dying, I mean, how does that happen? How can it be? But now we know that the physical body dies, but people levitate above their body and they're looking down at themselves and yet they are as much alive or even more alive than they were when they were living and walking around in that body. You know, that means that Alan and Betty are more alive than they've ever been before. And Ellen's running around on two feet, not one. The Bible has also said that God always exi- has always existed in a state of light. The Bible says God is light. And Revelation paints this amazing picture, as we looked at last time, that Jesus has a body of light. And John just, when, when, when he turned up, John just hit the deck on the, on the ground, just absolutely. Not knowing what was happening, but he wrote about it. And Jesus is light. And the Bible has always said that God is love. And we just take that, but but people tell us when they come back from the dead that they've been so enveloped by love, just waves and waves and waves of love around them, that they never want to leave the presence of this being that is there, who's loving upon them, and he knows them, he knows them by name, he knows everything about them, but his love just wraps around them. You know, after I preached um, a f- couple of weeks ago, several people came up to me and said that they had had experiences of, of um, uh, near-death experiences, and so I want to ask Paul Johnson first of all, if he would come and just tell us his story. Once again, can we just welcome Paul? Paul, you recently had an operation. You were getting uh, your head, had, you had surgery in the back of your head around the ear area. So just fill us in what happened as part of that.
2: Um, so as part of that, what they, I was in surgery for two and a half hours. They had to drill into the back of the skull, drain out the brain fluid, and do a bit of nip and tuck inside um, to relieve a chronic pain t- condition that I had called uh, trigeminal neuralgia. Um, Luckily, I came out of that absolutely fine. But while I was on the table, I had the experience that I was standing on the floor, and I could see myself lying on the table. And And I was at one end of the table, and at the other end of the table, there were two figures. One was brilliant light, and the other one was darker, as in he wasn't as light as the first one. The one that was darker, was there to bear witness, which was very important, because I know it was a true vision, because there was a witness to the vision. The one that was like brought the message. And that message was, to fill you in, I was in such pain that when I was going into the surgery, I was praying to God that if he couldn't completely take away the surgery, I didn't want to come out of it. I couldn't see myself living another year with that intense pain, especially if it was going to magnify. And the One that was like brought the message and it said, It's not your time. You're to go back. Now, there's no, I talked to the surgeon about it. There's no evidence at all that I died on the table. For for the surgeon, it was a perfect surgery. It went absolutely brilliantly. So I'm not saying I died, but the message said, It wasn't my time. I was to come back and I was to be assured the second half was going to be better than the first. And I had a witness there. So I know it was true.
0: It's cool. It's very cool. What's the pain level like for you now? Do you still have those headaches?
2: I have slight pain around where the surgery was. Um, Every so often I get a sharp jab and that sort of thing. But my doctor says that that can take up to six months to go away. Um, The first couple of weeks, the recovery pain was just as bad as the pain was before the surgery, which is absolutely brilliant that I was told that things were going to get better. Uh, because mm. it f- for a while there, I was thinking, God, th- this is as bad. What did I go through the surgery for? This is just as bad. But it's getting better, and I know that God has promised me a better second half. Right, mm.
0: right. Thank you, thank you. thank you. That's very cool, eh? And the other one is Chris. I wonder if you'd like to come, Chris, and, and just share the journey that your son went through, this terrible accident, um, and what has taken place?
1: Isn't God just great? Mm. Yep. Hey, I really experienced God in worship this morning, and you can't deny the fact that you can just feel so close. Hey? Yeah, yeah um, you all remember a little William from the Christmas play. Um, they won't be expecting that. <laughs> yep, that's William. So on the sixth of January, about two years ago, he was just about five. He had a um, accident at a fish bowl in Wanaka. So he normally came with his bicycle on over from the right, and he will turn left or he will go right around it, with his helmet on. And this day, there was people standing on both sides of the exit, and he went left. He went right. He saw there was no path, and he went straight into the hole i'm standing and he fell i couldn't i was standing about i don't know a f- couple of meters back i couldn't i just saw him disappearing into the hole i sprinted t- to him and i'm a, one level below a paramedic qualified medically so i have been to a few accidents i've seen people i jumped down there and i saw him his body looked all mangled he looked just abnormal And I knelt next to him and I said, God, please, you can't take my child. You can't take my child. And I repeated that over and over. And I... um, He ended up being airlifted to Dunedin. Um, The ICU, Julia, surgeon flew back from Dunedin. She flew out to Wanaka to meet him. And they... um, we're really concerned about him because he had called to medical term flexing and stretching, which the arm goes out and then back and things like that. They actually disconnected um, my or, or Jody's hairpiece to get a team of surgeons ready in Dunedin to receive him to do open-head surgery to relieve the bleeding on the brain. Then um, he was, for two days, he was out The third day, he woke up as if nothing's happened. And my, um, or or Jody said to him, so did you hear dad and mommy praying with you, talking to you? And he said, no. But what I did see was two angels. And we said, what did he say to you? He said, oh, I'll be all right. (laughs) And then he added, he said, and Jesus was there too. I was like, oh, and what did he say? No, he didn't say anything. He was just standing there. So for that to come from a five-year-old, it was really amazing. The, that is Julia. On the fifth day, he got discharged, just like that. And on our way, traveling back from Dunedin back to Wanaka, we saw the cross in the sky. Ah. That's the picture we took from the car. And um, that was just amazing. And God is great. And just give God all the honor and glory that... I can still have my son today with me. And that's amazing.
0: That's incredible, Chris. Absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. These stories are everywhere, folks. Um, There have been millions and millions of people who have had near-death or afterlife experiences. And the incredible thing is they come back telling us this is true. This is true. And that's what I've called my message today. This is true. It's actually true. It's not religion. It's not a game. It's not a club. It's actually really real. And the Bible says if we will focus upon Jesus, and where, where is Jesus? He's in heaven. He's seated, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit has been sent down here, but Jesus is in heaven. We're to focus on him. We're to look up to him. We're to look at heaven. And the more we understand heaven is real, the more it will affect how we live down here in this life. It's a powerful, powerful thing. So, friends, I really, really want to encourage you. Um, I want to say to you, it's okay to be skeptical, but, but you see, whenever Chris puts that into a, into a conversation at work or, or on, in a cafe or something, the whole conversation changes. And that's what I'm saying for us to do is to actually begin to share some of these stories. And if you're reading about um, near-death experiences, you'll be able to share some of the stories and, and you will be able to take conversations to an amazing place and God will, God will powerfully use it. I encourage you to do it. Um, it's okay to be skeptical about near-death experiences. You don't have to believe everything that's there. I think it's good that we have a healthy caution, but don't become a skeptic. Don't just write it off and say, oh, no, no, this is all caused by something else. I want you to remember, first of all, that that the Apostle Paul had a near-death experience, and he wrote about it in in the uh, Scriptures. And I want to have a look at at, uh, Paul's situation. What happened was he'd gone to Lystra, which um, Lystra is a Greek city in Turkey because if you remember all the, the, the Sparta and all the army things that Greek has back in history, um, they, had, they had taken over much of Turkey, certainly all the coastal region, and in Anatola region, which is down the bottom uh, onto the Mediterranean, Lystra was there. And Paul went there, and while he was there, he, he healed a crippled man. And the people of, of the city um, of Lystra they said, you guys must be gods, because the Greeks worship multi multi-gods. And so they called Paul Hermes, and they called Barnabas Zeus, and, and they got uh, oxen and fire all ready to sacrifice to these two people, Paul and Barnabas. And Paul tries to shut them down. He says, no, 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 it's not us. We're human beings just like you. This is Jesus. And, and so he's the absolute hero of a city. And then the next couple of verses say this. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch, which is in Syria, modern day Syria, just up from Jerusalem. And they had traveled either by sea or by land. And they'd come to Lystra and they won the crowds to their side. And then it just says, and so they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town. It's an amazing flip from being the hero of a place to being someone that people would stone. Now, you and I have never seen anyone stoned, and we've never partaken in stoning anybody, I presume. (laughs) But you just picture it for a moment. It must be an incredible thing. What's it like when 20 rocks have been thrown on someone? What does someone's head look like with a stoning that takes place? And then they just drag him out, because there's no use looking after someone's body. Did they drag him by the feet? Did did his skull just kind of wear away as they dragged him outside the city? Was it the other way around? They dragged him by his arms and his feet, all the skins torn off it, but he's also a bloody mess with broken bones. What's it like? They throw him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, All the Christians come. They've seen it happen. The towns or the city folk have left. The believers gather around. What are they going to do? Oh, poor Paul. Someone will start to pray. And they must have prayed heaps. Or they must have prayed well. Because Paul got up and went back into the town. And the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Robert had a um, forced dismount, what they call it. That's when you fall off your bike at speed. Um, And he found a rock, and that rock got him in the back of there and and broke four ribs and punctured his lung. Six ribs, sorry, six ribs. Let's get it right. And punctured his lung. One rock. Paul's had multiple rocks thrown on him. The chances of him living through it are very, very small. Most scholars believe he died at this point. And then later on, he, he begins to talk about what, what he saw and his experience of being up up in heaven. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 2 to 7, it says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. We'll just leave the thought of a third heaven for a moment. Won't deal with it today. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. So he's starting to talk about this this levitating, this coming away that near-death people always talk about. That I was caught up to paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Um... That's a common phrase when you talk to anyone who's gone further than the tunnel of light and they've, they've kind of rolled out of that into, into what is heaven or paradise. Um, they will often say that I saw things, I just haven't got the words to be able to actually speak about it or the knowledge or the understanding to be able to speak about. And Paul says things no human is allowed to tell as well. And that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will only boast about my weaknesses, Paul said. If I wanted to boast, I would not be a fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life and hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So out of body, near-death experiences are not extra biblical, are not outside the scope of the Bible and what we're supposed to be studying. It was a, um, just simply was not a very common testimony in those days. But Paul's only one of a number of people who experienced heaven. Lazarus was four days in paradise, and such was the commotion from his return, because let's be honest, he's been dead four days, comes back to life, he would be telling everybody about what he had seen, right? in this place that he calls paradise. And the high priest and the council decide Jesus has to die. We cannot have this, because Lazarus and Jesus were stirring up the entire city. I want to just take a moment, um, and we won't get much past this, actually to show you a video of um, Dr. Mary Neal. Now, we've heard two very credible testimonies, and they're credible because we know the people who've stood before us today to tell us about their experiences. And I know there are others of you sitting in the room who also have things that you could say to us. But I want, to, I want you to see um, Dr. Mary Neal's testimony because she is an orthopedic spine surgeon, and it gives an, a, an incredible authenticity to what the Bible says is true when people who are qualified, especially in the medical area, have died and come back and share their after-death experience. So just have a listen to Mary. signals can you can you keep working on it Thanks she's an orthopedic um, surgeon and has an experience that hopefully we'll get to hear today but um, what I want what I want to highlight out of what Mary um, would share with us is that, when we put these converse- things into conversation, if you get it, just bring it up and I'll, I'll change what I'm doing. Down, just download it again. Um, if you put stories like Paul's story or Chris's story out into the conversation, people will come up with reasons as to why it, it must be something else. And they'll, they'll um, say, oh, there are alternative explanations rather than this really happening for a person. And what they mean is, it's something that is internal. It only happened in their mind. They didn't act. It's not real. They didn't actually leave their body and uh, and go somewhere else. They'll say things. It has to do with oxygen deficiency or carbon dioxide overload or chemical reactions in the brain or psychedelics or electrical activity of the brain as it's shutting down or fantasy hallucinations, dreams or delusions brought on by medication and drugs. And and basically they're talking about it's the last activity of a brain shutting down.
3: of being home, of being where I belonged. But just as quickly, there was this sense of disappointment that descended on everyone, and the spirits who had taken me there told me that it wasn't my time, and I had more work to do on Earth, and I had to go back to my body.
4: After what seemed like hours with our heavenly host, Dr. Neal returned to the river and watched as her friends recovered her body.
3: I could see my body being pulled to the shore and I could see the guy start CPR. I felt like he was looking right at me and begging me to come back and take a breath. And I lied down and I was reunited in the middle of a very remote part of South America.
4: Dr. Neal had been gone for over 15 minutes, perhaps as long as 25, certainly longer than medical science can explain her survival. She was flown back to the United States where she slowly recovered from her injuries. In her book, To Heaven and Back, she talks about how the reality of God's love has changed her for eternity.
3: All of the promises of God are true. God loves each and every one of us and really is there and is working in each and every one of our lives that love is everything if we truly could accept that I mean it, it changes everything it changes the way you view every moment of every day the fact that there really is life after death profoundly changes the way you approach every moment
0: It's a joining of the dots situation for most of us. Perhaps it is for you today. It certainly is for people out there. But if we will take the risk to share some of the stories that we know with people, we will have some amazing conversations with them. But as I said, people will come back with, oh, yes, but it's this or it's this or it's this. The, you know, the dying moments of a, a person's brain and it, it didn't really happen for them. But, you know, what they found is that they found nothing in each of these things that I was talking about of oxygen deficiency and and the last um, electrical impulses of a brain or drugs being used and it's just a drug thing does not adequately explain what millions and millions and millions of people across our planet have now experienced. It doesn't explain these things, that people experienced enhanced consciousness not a diminishing, 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 can hardly think consciousness of a brain shutting down. People come back and say they were more alive, more able to think, could work process faster than ever before. And that they have lucid thoughts, not confused or unclear or dreamlike thinking or the randomness and, and uh, horror of drug thinking. And they feel emotions and memories, and they can remember their life from beginning to end because it's shown to them as, as part of that experience. And they have visions and knowledge of the future. Um, Mary Neal came back, and she knew that her, one of her four sons was going to die in 10 years' time. She was told that. She was prepared for it so that when it took place, she was actually pre Warned. How can people know things of their own future? Colton Burpo, a four-year-old child, um, appendix bursts, ends up going to heaven, and in heaven he meets someone, a girl who's about his age, who comes and wraps her arms around him and hugs him and hugs him, and he's going, "Who are you?" And she says, "I don't have a name." She said, "Why don't you have a name? Well, my parents never named me." And he, But he said, she says, "I'm your sister." And, and he came back, and he's sitting, and he reveals to his mother. He says, "Mum, I've got another sister." And his mother just bursts into tears because she had a miscarriage, and uh, and she said, "You didn't name her, did you?" And and the the woman just goes, "How? How can this boy know this? Because he's coming back and telling things that he's seen in the future." Um, they all report thinking from a place external to their bodies and where their brain is actually residing. They're either on the, uh, in the ceiling or they're in the midst of this light speeding tube as they're being transported to, to uh, somewhere because this is the first heaven and Paul said we, God lives in the third heaven and so they're thinking still but their brain is not there. How, how, how can this be just the shutting down of the final moments of a brain? Um, And then this one is a really important one. Every person who has had a genuine near-death experience, their life goes through complete transformation. Not just a drug trip and then back to normal, but they're absolutely changed. You won't convince them that what they saw was not real and they live completely differently. It's like um, with the church. How do you you explain... um, uh, the, the growth of the church in the first 300 years uh, after Jesus died, other than the facts that it's true, if it was all based on, on uh, lies and deceit and people pretending that Jesus had been raised from the dead, how did, how did the church overtake the empire of Rome? It's because of the life transformation that happened one person after another person as people actually came into relationship with Jesus Christ. And science can't explain how greater awareness and new knowledge can possibly happen when the brain is not functioning normally, or in fact may be completely um, uh, gone. And they notice that in near-death experiences, there's an inverse relationship between the clarity of consciousness that a person has and the loss of brain function. It goes the exact opposite way that it, you would uh, scientifically expect that it would go. And then there's the good guess possibility. Maybe people are just guessing. Well, they've done controlled um, uh, surveys um, with this, have control groups who've done this, and they've asked people who didn't have a near-death experience to guess what happened to them um, while they had uh, stopped breathing or uh, shut down on, on, the, um, on the table of an operation. And many couldn't even begin to imagine anything. And other people reported things that they'd seen on TV um, as, as what uh, would have happened. And others said equipment, equipment like a defibrillator was used when actually it wasn't. But that contrasts with the incredible accuracy of people who've had a near-death experience and they've hovered above their body while it's on the operating table and they can name all the details of everything that took place. Dr. Jeffrey Long, and I I really want to stress this because if you're going to have conversations where you put it out there, um, we, we need to be aware that any other explanation, although it may have a part in what has taken place, can never adequately adequately explain what what that person has actually experienced, because it has been a real experience beyond this life. Dr Jeffrey Long, who was a radiation oncologist, who himself went from skeptic to believer in the afterlife, has uh, written, after collecting and studying thousands of accounts from around the world, he says, near-death experiences provide such powerful scientific evidence that it's reasonable to accept the, evident, the existence of an afterlife. Yep. Now, I'm not saying anything profound there, because as Christians, we actually believe that. Yep. But if we're going to engage with people who, who think that I'm in this life, there is no accountability for anything in this life, I'm just an accident of chance, I'm here because of evolution, when I die, it's all just going to be black, there's nothing, then it's important that we understand it. Can I say that um, don't have arguments? We need to we need to be able to say to people, yeah, yeah. I mean, what you're saying has validity, but it doesn't fully explain what people actually experience. The only thing that fully explains what people experience is what the Bible says, and that is that when we pass from this life, we don't cease to exist. Our body dies, but we we continue to live on, and that God is light. And that God is love. And these people have met him. And for one reason or another. He said your time is not up yet. I want you to go back. It is real. It is real. Can I have the band come up? And we'll close. You know I just want to speak to you. If you're here today. and, And I don't know your circumstances. I don't know whether you've ever given your life to Jesus Christ. You know. You might be sitting here thinking almost fearful thoughts. And I don't, want to, I don't think fear is a, a good way of coming to know Jesus Christ at all. The Bible says it's his, it's his um, kindness and his love towards us that brings repentance into our life. And I just want to say to you that if you've never accepted this God, he absolutely loves you. He's, he's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. But every single one of us are locked under this thing called sin. Every single one of us has done things wrong, and none of us can do anything to fix what we've done wrong, what we've thought wrong, what we've said wrong, what we've acted wrong. We're, we're, we're not perfect. And so God had this problem. He, he's got a, he lives in perfection. He is perfection. He wants people to be with Him, and there's no way that they can ever fix themselves. So He said, the only way that I can show mercy on these people is is to deal with the justice issue. Because everything that we do wrong, we are actually accountable. God is love, but he's also justice. He has all those qualities within himself. Many qualities within. And so he said, the only way that I can deal with the, the justice is to take my own punishment upon myself for you. Yep. And Christians, are pe- and so Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross and that was what it was all about. He was taking the punishment that you and I deserve on himself, so that if we wanted it, we could have a relationship with him that would, uh, this God of love that would take us from this world on into the next. You know, Alan Betridge was a rough diamond. Hello? (laughs) I said that at his funeral on Thursday. But he knew Jesus Christ. He'd met him. As he was faced with his own mortality, he realized there was more than just This world and he'd sought out Jesus. And that opportunity for you to be able to do that today is here as well. Could we just have every head bowed and every eye closed? You know, if you've never given your life to Jesus, his love is right upon you. And if he's speaking to you, you'll know it because in your heart, things will just be, be moving and changing. And all I want to do is I want to give you the opportunity to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need forg- that forgiveness. And I, I want you in my life. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand? And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just simply going to pray for you. Seriously, this is, this is what coming to Christ is all about. This is what the Christian life is. Don't take the risk. Say that seriously. If you've never given your life to Jesus, God bless you. Is there anyone else here today that just senses you, you want to actually accept Jesus for yourself? You want heaven. You want his love. Let's just pray together as we stand. Or we'll stand and then we'll pray together. Jesus, I invite you into my life. I know I've done things that are wrong. I've I've said and thought and done things that are sinful. And And I thank you that you want to forgive me. I thank you that you you took the punishment instead of me. me. And I I open wide the doors of my heart. And I invite you in. Thank you for coming into me and being my leader. Amen. Amen.